Hello, and welcome to Doc Tell Me More, my podcast where I take an in-depth look at documentaries. Again, my name is Mike, I am your host, and this is episode 26 of Doc Tell Me More, and episode 9 of the Last Dance series that I have been going through. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, whether this is your first time or whether you've been with me for all 26. And again, here on Doc Tell Me More, what I do is is I watch a documentary and... I do some research, um, looking at you know what was true in the documentary, or looking at some topics at a more in-depth level, or add different things that might have been left out by the documentary. And again, if this is your first time, I encourage you to go back. I, I went through the Ken Burns' baseball series earlier, I have 11 episodes of that. And then again, this is my ninth one here of The Last Dance. And so... I kind of have a feeling this is going to be a shorter episode than normal. I've been doing about 98 minutes to two-hour episodes lately, but there just really was not a lot here um, in the Last Dance episode nine. And really, and I'll just get into it right now, there's really only two topics that were talked about in episode nine, and that was the 1997 finals where the Bulls played the Utah Jazz. And then the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals, where the Bulls played the Pacers. So they, again, really kind of just zeroed in on those two topics. And there are some interesting things to look at, but there really wasn't a whole lot in my research of, oh, a lot of extra stuff that I, that I could really kind of uh, really go in in depth. And so anyways, like I said, this is probably going to be a shorter episode. But that's okay. And so just buckle up and we're going to look here at the Last Dance episode 9 and look at the different topics that were in it. And again, things that might have been left out and hopefully you can learn something from that. So again, thanks for listening. So let's get rocking and rolling here. And so as I said, the, the first topic that this episode talks about is the 1997 Bulls season and pretty much just the 1997 NBA Finals. Now, this is the year after the Bulls won 72 games to set a new record for most wins in a season. And that was broken a few years ago by the Golden State Warriors when they won 73. I think a lot of people forget that the next year, Bulls came out and won 69 games. So, again, almost almost going back-to-back 70-win seasons. Uh, they started out 12-0. They went 17-1. They were 25-3. 34 and 4. And what I find it interesting is that they were 68 and 10, and they ended up losing three out of their last four games and their last two games. So they really had it set up to win 70 again, and they just kind of uh, didn't really perform well there at the end. But, anyways, uh, a great season for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, their lineup was, was pretty much unchanged from the year before. Uh, you had Ron Harper at point guard. You had Michael Jordan. Obviously, and Jordan averaged at 29.6 points a game, six rebounds, four assists, two steals, and 18 win shares, which is pretty crazy. Scotty had a great year as well. 20 points, six and a half rebounds, six assists, two steals, and 13 win shares. And those three um, defensively were nicknamed the Dobermans, and that's something that I was trying to remember last podcast when I was talking. But they... Um, a lot of people look at the offensive prowess of these Bulls teams, 
But really, it was the defense that, that really led these teams to championships. You had Dennis Rodman, who averaged 16 rebounds a game. Luke Longley was the center, 9 points, 6 rebounds. Uh, you had Steve Kerr off the bench, who was about 8 points a game. And then Tony Kukoc, who had a pretty good year as well. 13 points, 5 rebounds, 4.5 assists to steal, and 7 win shares. And so, again, pretty much the same lineup from the year before. And... Bulls pretty much kind of steamrolled through the playoffs. They swept the Washington Bullets in round one. They beat the Atlanta Hawks 4-1 in the West in the Eastern Conference semis. And then they beat the Miami Heat in five games in the Eastern Finals. And that matched them up with the Utah Jazz. Now, Utah had originally been the New Orleans Jazz, which the New Orleans Jazz is a really cool name. And then they moved, that was in 1975 is when their team started. Then they moved to Utah in 1979, and they just kept the name Jazz. And I think that we're just so used to calling them the Jazz that we don't think of kind of how ludicrous it is for a team to be called the Utah Jazz. (laughs) Um, But anyways, they really were not that good uh, until they got John Stockton and Carl Malone. and, And that was from some great drafting. It drafted John Stockton 16th overall in 1984, and that was the Michael Jordan draft. And a lot of the Bulls front office at the time really liked John Stockton. And if they couldn't get Jordan, Stockton was on their radar. Then the very next year, they drafted Carmelone 13th. And so you look at getting two Hall of Fame players in back-to-back drafts, but again, not high picks. You're looking at the 13th pick and the 16th pick. That's a pretty good job there by Utah. Uh, Jerry Sloan was the head coach of Utah, and he had been an assistant at Utah from 86 to 89, and then became the head coach of 89. Now, he was a former uh, Bulls player. He's considered one of the great original kind of Bulls players, and was even the, the Bulls head coach for three years, where he went 94 and 121 from 1980 to 82. But, um, so there are some ties between these two teams with Jerry Sloan. Now, the Jazz, starting in uh, Stockton's rookie year, they did make the playoffs from 84 to 91. But uh, they were pretty much in early early out in most of those playoffs. And so they, they got knocked out in the first round four times and then the second round another four times. So they had kind of developed themselves into a solid team but couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, then they drafted Byron Russell in 1993, and they acquired Jeff Hornacek in 1994, and then Greg Ostertag in 1995. And then those five, those three plus Horner, or Stockton and Malone, ended up becoming the, the starting lineup for the Utah Jazz. And then they continued to make the playoffs from 92 to 96, but then they just started actually getting a little bit further in the playoffs. So they made the Western Conference Finals in 92, 94-96, and, and that kind of, um, oh, came to a head in 1997 where they won 64 games. They're in the Western Conference Finals again, and then they finally advanced the NBA Finals by beating the Houston Rockets on um, a John Stockton buzzer beater. So Utah was just kind of a team that, again, they just kind of acquired some good players. They slowly got better. And then finally we're able to overcome, get over the hump there. So again, the point guard was John Stockton. He's considered one of the greatest point guards of all time. You know, you take out like Magic Johnson, um, Isaiah Thomas, 
It'd be Oscar Robertson, John Stockton's right there. He is number one all-time in steals and assists. He's also sixth all-time in win shares with 207. And in the 97 season, he averaged 14 points, 10 assists, and two steals. He had 13 win shares. Uh, Jeff Hornacek was the shooting guard. Uh, Byron Russell was a small forward. Carl Malone's a, the, the power forward. Um, 27 points, 10 rebounds, and s- almost 17 win shares. He retired as number two all-time in points behind Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. LeBron actually just passed him, I think, in the last couple months. So Carl Malone is on number three. Malone is eighth in rebounds, 13 in steals, number one in free throws, and number four in win shares at 234. So again, the Jazz drafted the number four all-time in win shares and number six all-time in win shares in back-to-back drafts outside the top 10. Uh, I, I will say this, there's a lot of really kind of uh, sketchy things Carl Malone has done in his life, and I don't really want to talk about that stuff here on the podcast, but... I encourage you, if, if you want to look at some of the, the sketchy things Malone has done and then some of his legal issues, you can just kind of Google him. Um, but any, anyways, um, Jordan talks on the documentary that you know, Carl Malone won the MVP and that kind of made Jordan mad. And so kind of comparing their stats here, uh, Jordan had 18 win shares to Carl Malone's 17. Jordan had Almost 30 points compared to Carl Malone's 27. Malone had 10 rebounds compared to Jordan's 6. That about the same assists and steals and blocks. So, I mean, pretty comparable stats. Maybe Jordan has a little bit more uh, or a little bit better stats. But in that era where Jordan was winning MVPs all the time, um, if there's anybody that was really close to Jordan, they just kind of gave it to that person, to the other person. And I think in this case, when you're the, the Jazz and they finally get to the um, NCAA, NCAA, the NBA Finals, um, that was part of it too. So Malone was the MVP going of the 1997 season. Now going into the finals, Pippen was hurt. He'd hurt himself in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that was the injury that he would put off surgery from. And so he so uh, he went screw up his summer, as he said in like episode two, and which would hurt the Bulls in 1998. But he was hurt coming in. Um, and it ended up being a, a pretty pretty competitive, close series. Um, so looking at game one here, really close game. Most of the game was played within four points of each other either way. The, the Jazz did at one point get a seven-point lead, but Jazz are one after one, four after two, two after three. So just really close. Um and but three minutes to go, the Bulls had taken the lead, 76-75. Malone hit two free throws to give the Jazz the lead. MJ hit two free throws to get the Bulls lead back. Malone came right back and hit two, a two to put the Jazz up one. Scotty hit a three <laughs> to put the Bulls up two. Stockton came right back, hit a three to put, give the Jazz a one-point lead. So you look at that right there. You got one, two, three, four, five, six possessions in a row where the lead changed. Jordan would shoot free throws and go one or two. And so the game was then tied 82-82. And then that came down to nine seconds to go. And they don't they didn't talk about this in the documentary, which which kind of surprised me. But Carmelone actually is at the free throw line to shoot two free throws. And he has a chance to to win or at least give the Jazz a chance to win the game here. 
And so this game was played on a Sunday, and Carl Malone's nickname was the mailman because he always delivered. And so Scottie Pippen walked by Carl Malone as he's getting ready to shoot free throws and said, hey, just so you know, the mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. Malone ended up missing both free throws. And then Jordan comes down, as they show in the documentary, Jordan hits a buzzer beater that wins the game 84-82. And so you talk about some stone-cold trash-talking there by Scottie Pippen. The mailman doesn't deliver on Sundays. And so Jordan had 31, Pippen had 27, Stockton 23, or excuse me, Malone 23, Stockton 16. I think you look at game one, and it was in Chicago. Really a game Utah could have easily won. You know, they... they had the lead, had a chance to win, um, but just couldn't quite pull it through. And you kind of wonder if being in their first NBA Finals, if the experience of the Bulls kind of uh, paid off there. Anyways, that, that gets us to Game 2. Uh, pretty much a really easy win for the Bulls. They get out to a 10-point leaving in, in the first quarter. Uh, and then in the second quarter, they outscore the Jazz by 11 and have a 16-point halftime lead. Bulls lead by 19 after three, and then the Bulls end up winning by 12. The lead never gets below 11, so pretty much game two. After that close game one, Bulls pretty much dominate game two. Jordan almost has a triple-double going 38-13-9. Pip has 10 points, Harper 13. Malone 20, Hornacek 19, Stockton 14. And so the Bulls are up 2-0, heading to Salt Lake City, um, firmly um, in control of the series. And so the Utah now... Goes back home trying to uh, get some life in them. Fortunately for Utah, they pretty much own Game 3. And just as much as Game 2 was a blowout for the Bulls, Game 3 was a blowout for Utah. Um, it was kind of close early, but then the, the Jazz have a 9-point lead after 1, 16-point after at halftime. They get up by as many as 27 but uh, in the third quarter, but after three, it's a 17-point lead. Bulls do go on a little bit of a run there, and they cut the lead to seven with two minutes to go. But then the Jazz actually make 14 straight free throws to ice the game. 14 straight free throws. And the Jazz win 104-93, so maybe not quite necessarily a big-time blowout, but again, they're pretty much in control of. Um, Scottie Pippen hit seven threes in the game, which tied the NBA Finals record. Uh, big, um, the, the big kind of controversy after this game, which this wasn't mentioned in the documentary either, was that after the game, Dennis Rodman said that it's difficult to get in sync because of all the bleeping Mormons out there. And so uh, that obviously didn't go over well. And a lot of people got on Dennis for some hate speech towards a religion. Dennis Rodman came out and apologized later. He said he didn't realize that Mormonism was a religion. <laughs> he he thought Mormons was like a, just a, a nickname for jazz fans, which I kind of find that... Um, <laughs> I kind of just... I don't know. Dennis is smart. On one hand, I think he should have known the Mormons was a religion, but on the other hand, I can also see how he... Uh, he uh, didn't think it was religion. So anyways, then Dennis apologized. I think he got fined for it. Um, anyways, so that was a big kind of controversy there. Dennis Rodman disparaging the Mormons. Um, but then also, they didn't talk about this either in the documentary. 
is so like during the 1998 NBA Finals, and we'll talk about that next week. They talk in the documentary about how Dennis kind of left and and went and wrestled. Um, he actually did almost he did a similar thing in 1997 where they were out in Utah and they had a practice, and then he flew out somewhere and I think to Denver maybe and partied, stayed up all night, came back to practice, left, went out and partied again, and then came back and played in Utah, and so he, he kind of left the NBA Finals in 97 and partied as well. Now, he, he didn't miss any practices or games, which is what happened in 98, but but Dennis Robin kind of did his own thing there, um, but it didn't seem to affect him in the NBA Finals. So, anyways, Dennis Robin again apologizes for his comment, and we go to game four, and again, another... This is finally a, a close game, and um, one thing that was interesting, if you watch the documentary, you can see Phil Jackson wearing earplugs during the um, introductions, and the Bulls players said that the, the Jazz introductions were some of the loudest they ever heard. A lot of pyrotechnics, I think there's a motorcycle in there. And Phil Jackson's doctor actually told him that if he wanted to not suffer any hearing damage, he had to wear earplugs. And so Phil Jackson wore earplugs during the NBA Finals. I just thought that was interesting because I did notice that in the documentary. Anyways, a pretty close game. Jazz are up by five after one. Bulls flip the script and take a five-point lead at half. Uh, and then the Jazz would start off the third quarter by scoring seven straight to take the lead. And then it's pretty, pretty close there, and it's tied after three. But in the fourth quarter there, the Bulls are up by five with 2.27 to go, and they really have a great chance to just win this game. Um, and then you go at 3-1, the series is pretty much over. But the Jazz have a great comeback here. And so Stockton would hit, hit a three to cut the lead to two. Uh, Jordan hits a two. So then with two minutes to go, the Bulls are up by four. And then the Jazz end up making three free throws over two possessions so that with one minute to go, the Bulls are up by one. With 49 seconds to go, and this is the big play, uh, Jordan misses a shot, Stockton rebounds and throws a full-court pass, which David Aldridge in the documentary says was the greatest pass he'd ever seen. Full-court pass to Carl Malone. Malone slams it and makes it 74-73. Kerr and Jordan missed shots, and the Jazz end up winning 78 to 73. And so the Bull, excuse me, the Jazz close out Game Four on a nine to nothing run, and essentially steal the game. I mean, the Bulls again up by five with two and a half to go, should have closed that game out. And obviously, if they do that, uh, the Jazz aren't going to win three in a row. Um, but instead, uh, they tie the series, and, and now with three games to go, it's anybody's game. And that leads us to Game 5, which is the infamous flu game, which they, they spend a lot of time talking about. And I remember when this happened, uh, you know, if you turn the game on back in 1997, uh, it, it was everybody was talking about how Jordan was sick and had the flu. And... A lot of, you know, and kind of the mainstream story was that he had the flu... But there's a lot of players and other NBA people who felt like that wasn't true, that that was a lie. And so the documentary kind of addresses that here, finally, where Jordan comes out and says, um, 
It was food poisoning. And so his story is, is that it's 10, 1030 at night. And they're looking to get some food. And they, there's one pizza place that's open. They order a pizza. Five guys deliver it to the room. Jordan eats it. And then by the middle of the night, he's sick, you know? Um, I just had a lot of questions about that story. Not necessarily that's not true, but there's just some details they threw in there that I thought were sketchy. One I couldn't understand was at 10, 1030 at night, how is there not any room service? You know, I figured that it, maybe that's just now, but I kind of figured that um, hotels would have room service for the NBA players. But the, my biggest thing was, how is there only one pizza place open in Salt Lake City, Utah? I did some research, and the Bulls actually stayed in a smaller town called Park City, Utah. So, I can kind of understand in that respect how um, there might have been only one place open in that small of a town. Um, I didn't understand how five guys delivered it to the actual room. That just seems so sketchy. Like, to me, like, Michael Jordan didn't order the pizza. You know, obviously his buddies ordered it. And so I was trying to figure out how, how did those guys know that it was Michael Jordan that they were delivering the pizza to? And not only that, how did they get to the door? Like, I don't understand how security let them get all the way to the door. Now, maybe that was back in 97, you could do that. But I did also read that the Utah fans did find out where the Bulls were staying. So it's, it, it is possible that even though that the pizza was ordered, what not necessarily for Michael Jordan, uh, I can understand how if they knew they were staying in that hotel, it's a pizza that late at night, okay, they're probably assuming it is for a player. So I, I guess I can understand that. Um, so initially when I heard the story, I'm like, I don't know. There's just so many details in there that seem kind of crazy, but Kind of reading about it, I suppose, especially back 25 years ago, it makes sense. I mean, th- this would never happen now. Never happen now where you'd order a pizza. I'm sure everybody's got their chefs and and the teams have their own meal um, people to get meals for them. But this, this would not happen now. Anyways, Jordan was the only one that ate the pizza. And he actually spit on the pizza to make sure that nobody else would eat it. And Jordan ate the whole pizza. And then, he, like I said, he was sick by the next day. And one thing I wonder is, was it actually food poisoning or was it just a bad pizza? And that's one article I read was that, you know, was it food poisoning like on purpose or was it was it just accidental? Like it's just really crappy pizza and he got sick for. So that, that's what I want to know. And there's people who have come out since and that said, hey, I was a person that poisoned the pizza, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, whatever the reason, Jordan was sick. And there were actually many players who believed it was a hangover game. Like, he wasn't actually had the flu or food poisoning. He was hungover. Either way, Jordan was sick. You, you, you talk to all the, the players on the Bulls team. They talk about how he was white. He was gray. That he was absolutely sick. There's no doubt about that. And he actually stayed in bed till 5.50 for 7 p.m. tip-off. So think about that. Five, he got out of bed at 5.50 and an hour and, and 10 minutes later was playing in a game. So that leads us to the game. So you'd think here that the Jazz would be able to take advantage of the situation. 
And one thing that is not clear, though, is if the Jazz knew Jordan was sick. And in Jerry Sloan, in his press conference, he was told that Jordan was sick. And he said, really? He didn't know that. I don't understand how that can be true. Because, again, if you watch the pregame of that, the whole story is that Jordan is sick. Like, some Utah person watching that would know, would see that and say, hey, Jordan's sick. And then could have conveyed that to the team. So I don't understand how Jerry Sloan didn't know he was sick or none of the other Jazz knew he was sick. Because if he was sick, I think you try to wear him out early on. But anyways, the Jazz did come out to a, a good start there. Uh, they were up by 13 after the first quarter. MJ only had four points. Uh, the Bulls end up going on a 30-18 to 18 run in the second quarter and take a one-point lead with a minute to go in the half. But then the Jazz score six straight, take a four-point lead. Jordan did score 17 points in that quarter. Uh, pretty even third quarter. Jazz up by five at the end of the quarter. Uh, at seventy at nine minutes to go, it was tied at 77, and it was a one-possession game the rest of the way. With two minutes to go, Bulls were down by one, and the Jazz had two opportunities to stretch the lead out, and they couldn't do it. And then one minute to go, Stockton fouls Jordan. Jordan makes the first three free throw, misses a second, gets his own rebound, hits a three that puts the Bulls up by three. Uh, Jazz and Bulls trade dunks. Stockton would end up missing a three to tie, and the Bulls would win 90 to 88. And Jordan would have 15 in the fourth, so 44 for the game, 17 in the second quarter, 15 in the fourth quarter. Bulls win. Uh, I think this is the third game he can make the argument that a team blew. I think this is, this is the, the, the Bulls have blown a game and the Jazz had blown two games. So, um, yeah, the Bulls have blown game three, game four. Oh, yep, the Jazz have blew game one, Jazz blew game, and game five, Bulls blew game four, the way I look at this. Um, so that, that's kind of the theme of the series here. You had those three games that could have flipped either way and on top of that even game six that we'll get into here so it's just a really close series like i said jordan had 44 points scotty said and i think it was actually in the last dance documentary he said this he said quote he's the best player in the world talking about jordan okay so again let's think about that pippen says that in the documentary or at another time and then after the documentary comes out, he starts ripping Jordan. Scottie Pippen clearly just has a vendetta against Jordan. But he said he's the best player in the world. Pippen had 17 and 10. Malone, 19. Ostertag had a double-double. Stockton, 13. And again, I just don't understand. I mean, I, I believe Jordan was sick. Whether it was food poisoning, whether it was the flu, whether it was a hangover, Jordan was not 100%. I don't understand how if you're the Utah Jazz, how you don't know that. And then how you don't take advantage of that situation. Again, if Jordan's sick, why are you not double-teaming him? Why are you not trying to wear him out? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so a huge missed opportunity there for the Jazz. As we, as we go to game six now in Utah, on uh, Utah and Chicago. And um, Jazz pretty much can control the game through the first three quarters. Jazz are up by six. 
Bulls start the fourth quarter on an 11-3 run to take a one-point lead. Uh, all those points are by Pippen and Kerr, and it's a one-possession game the rest of the way. Uh, Byron Russell would hit a three to tie the game at 86 with a minute 44 to go. Uh, the Bulls would miss three layups. Then Malone would miss a layup. Jordan missed a layup, and the Jazz would miss another layup. So kind of an ugly game where there's six straight layups missed. Um, and, and that brings us to the end where it's 86-86 still. And they talk about this in the documentary. Jordan drives, kicks out to Steve Kerr. Kerr hits a two-point shot. Uh, they put the Bulls up by uh, up by two with like a second or two to go. Pippen steals the inbounds pass, tips it to Kukoc who dunks it. And the Bulls win 90 to 86. And Kukoc, when he dunks it, uh, the series is over at that point. Like the people storm the court and everything. There's actually six tenths of a second left on the clock that they ended up not playing in game six because they just were like, we're done. Series is over, I guess. But um, yeah, so the Bulls end up winning their fifth in seven years. Again, a really close series. Um, you had those kind of blowouts in games two and three. The other four games could have gone either way, and Utah could have really won this series as well. And actually, the Bulls could have won it in five if they wanted to. Not if they wanted to, if they, if they played better. Really good series for Jordan. 32 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. Pippen, 20 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Stockton averaged 24 and 10. Stockton, 15 points, 9 rebounds. So a good series. And they these two teams would meet again in 1998 um, in a rematch, which we'll get into next week. But that's kind of the, the first story that they talk about here in the last dance, the 1997 Bulls 1997 NBA Finals. Bulls again pretty much cruise throughout the regular season. Uh, cruise at the playoffs. And it takes them six to beat the Jazz. But, um, you know, they, they close series, but they win. And they get highlighted by a Jordan's flu game. All right, so this, the second topic that was talked about during the episode nine of The Last Dance was the 1998 Eastern Conference Finals between the Bulls and the Indiana Pacers. Uh, just a great series. Um, I remember at the time, it, everybody thought it was a great series. Going in, they thought it was going to be a great series. Watching it was a great series. And looking back on that series, it's considered just an all-time great series. And one of the toughest uh, roads the Bulls had to winning any of their six titles. I would obviously argue that the, the biggest hurdle to Jordan in winning a title were those Pistons teams in the late 80s early 90s, because they actually did stop him, and that's probably it after that. Next was the Indiana Pacers that came um, the closest to dethroning their the Chicago Bulls during their run. Now, the Indiana Pacers, uh, a little quick history on them. They were founded as an ABA franchise in 1967. Uh, they're the most successful team in ABA history. They won three ABA titles, and they were one of four teams to merge with the NBA when the NBA and ABA merged. Uh, the other three teams were the Spurs, the Nets, and, oh my goodness, I just lost it in my head. Spurs, Nets, and I don't know. I, I just had all four there right there. I'll look it up right now here. So stick with me here. Should have written that down. Spurs, Nets, and Nuggets were the other team that merged 
now, from 1977 to 1989, they only made two playoffs, and both were first-round losses. Now, an interesting what-if for them is that the number two pick in the 1984 draft, which Portland used to draft Sam Bowie, was originally Indiana's pick. But Indiana ended up making a trade two years before that that gave Portland that pick. So Indiana could have had the number two pick, could have drafted Jordan in 84, but they didn't. They ended up drafting Reggie Miller in 1987, and after drafting Reggie Miller, they've had a lot of success. They've made the playoffs 25 times since 1990, and then, and then this 1998 team that we're going to talk about is considered the best in team history. So, again, really good ABA team, average NBA team until they got Reggie Miller. So let's talk about this this Pacers lineup. As I said, Reggie Miller... Um, he averaged 19.5 points per game this season and 12 win shares. A little bit about Reggie. He was born with some hip deformities, which kept him from walking correctly. Though he did come from a really athletic family. His brother Daryl played for the California Angels. His sister Tammy played volleyball at Cal State Fullerton. His most famous sibling is his older sister Cheryl, who is a Hall of Fame basketball player, considered one of the greatest female players of all time, won the 84 gold medal. And Cheryl would routinely beat Reggie in basketball games. And his unorthodox shooting style that he has was developed in order to get the shot over Cheryl's constant blocking of him. And he, it took him a long time to beat his sister in one-on-one. Um, but Cheryl was it was really, really good. And even to this day, as good as Reggie Miller was, Reggie's considered the second-best basketball player in his family. And from everything I've read and listened to, he has no problem with that. Um, he went to UCLA. He led UCLA to the NIT Championship in 85. And then in 87, he led UCLA to the Pac-10 title. And he finished second all-time in scoring at UCLA to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, he was selected 11th in the 87 draft. And many Pacers fans were mad because what they really wanted the pick was the Indiana guard, Steve Alford. They wanted the hometown boy. And so the Miller pick was actually booed, but actually was a great pick. Reggie was a Hall of Famer. And Steve Alford didn't really do much in the NBA. Um, he once scored eight points in nine seconds to beat the Knicks in a playoff game in 95. He's one of only eight people who have been a member of the 50-40-90 club in a season, which is 50% from two, 40% from three, and 90% from free throws. He is considered one of the great all-time shooters in NBA history. He is 25th all-time in points, 12th in free throw percentage. He's 51st in steals. Uh, when he retired, he was the all-time leading three-point scorer. He has since been passed by Steph Curry and Ray Allen. And I can't remember. I thought I read recently that James Harden passed him this year, too. But I think the thing you got to think about, though, is that they didn't shoot that many threes back then. They just didn't. But uh, Reggie Miller, one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time. Um, the point guard for the Pacers team was Mark Jackson, averaged 8 points, 8 assists. He had been the 92 Knicks team that almost beat the Bulls. That 92 Knicks team was the only other team that pushed the Bulls to a Game 7 during their title run. Although that, or that Game 7 or 92 was a blowout by the Bulls. Chris Mullen was their small forward. He was acquired before the season in a trade from Golden State. He's a great shooter and he had been on the dream team with Jordan. He averaged 11 points. Yeah, Dale Davis and Antonio Davis, called the Davis brothers, though they were not related. Dale Davis was a starting power forward, averaged 8-8. Eight and eight. Antonio Davis averaged 10-7 and seven off the bench. Starting center was Rick Schmitz, 
the Duncan Dutchman. Average 17.7 rebounds. And Jalen Rose is another key player off the bench. Averaged nine points a game. And again, he was part of the Fab Five at Michigan in the early 90s. And Larry Bird, who I'm going to talk about here, was the coach of Indiana, really resurrected Jalen Rose's career. Um, Larry Brown did not like Jalen Rose and wouldn't play him a whole lot. And when Larry Brown took over, or excuse me, Larry Bird took over, he helped Jalen become the player he became. Now, before the season, Larry Bird was hired by the Pacers to be the head coach. And there were a lot of people who were surprised that Bird was interested in becoming a coach. And a lot of people saw it as actually a publicity stunt by the Pacers to sell tickets. However, the head of the Pacers, Donnie Walsh, was just blown away by Bird's plan and preparedness. Bird gave him a plan from the first practice to the NBA Finals in extreme detail on how he was going to run things. Bird's plan was to run a tough training camp to have his players in shape at the beginning of the season, and then he would just lean heavily on his two assistant coaches. He would focus on preparing his team well, but was not a screamer. Now, Reggie Miller actually went and watched the rookie camp, and he realized that Larry was serious about fitness, and so he realized he had to get into shape, and so he contacted his teammates and told them to get ready. He didn't have a ton of rules, but he was a disciplinarian if someone broke a rule. Um, and he's really tough on lateness. Uh, and in the preseason, there's two players, Dale Davis and Travis Best, who were late um, to the charter plane to go to a game. And they kind of got there kind of right when they were supposed to leave. And someone asked Larry Bird, should we wait for them? And Bird's like, nope, pull the stairs up, let's go. And he left those two on the tarmac. And Chris Mullen later said that no one was late again during Larry Bird's three years. Um, and those two players had to actually find their own commercial flight and fly to the game. He was a coach. He did not play mind games. He was just honest with the players and respected him. And the team kind of took on this tough personality. They were tough. It was a good team, but not really as talented across the board as other teams. But they did have some depth. And so Bird would really play the matchups, focusing on maximizing strengths and minimizing weaknesses based on matchups. So they just kind of would really kind of move the chess pieces around. Um, anyways, obviously a really good coach. The Pacers started their season two and five, but then won nine of their next 10 games and they didn't lose back-to-back games in the last 60 games of the season. Uh, one story I found interesting was that the Pacers were up in a big in a game and the other team came back and Bird's assistants were telling him to call a timeout. Bird turned around and said, listen, bleep, I'll call the timeouts. When was the last time you played in a meaningful game? <laughs> so he was a savage. He said that to his assistants. He didn't call a timeout, and Indiana went on a 12-0 run. <laughs> uh, one of his emphasis was on getting as many shots, as many shoot-arounds as possible in, and to take them seriously. And a lot of people didn't necessarily take shoot-arounds seriously. And so anyways, they would do a lot of shoot-arounds before games, and Bird was telling, told his players that they were getting an extra 25 to 30 practices that other teams weren't getting and that they would get better because of that. The Pacers were 33 and 13 at the break, just ahead of Chicago, um, but they would lose the lead to Chicago and they'd finish as the number two seed, four games behind the Bulls. Um, they were the only team, they actually beat Portland 124 to 59 which is the only time in NBA history a team has been doubled up. 
And they did beat Chicago in Chicago on April 13th. So they were not scared of the Chicago Bulls. They knew they could beat the Bulls. As I said, they'd beaten them in Chicago. Um, and they felt that um, they were the better team. And if you listen to some of those players now, like Larry Bird and Jalen Rose, they, they'll say to this day they were the better team. They just didn't get it done. And Jalen Rose also said, you know, there wasn't social media and stuff back then, and so they didn't realize how dysfunctional things were behind the scenes with the Bulls. And had they known that, that would have been another mental edge. Anyways, um, this was Jordan's first time playing the Pacers in the playoffs. The Bulls were felt to be vulnerable. As I said, Indiana was extremely confident they would win the game. So game one, um, Indiana started out hot, and they took the lead by six after one. Uh, the Bulls would cut the lead to three at halftime. Bulls offense really struggled in this game, but their defense was great. The Bulls would score 10 straight points and make a 14-point lead in the third quarter. Indiana didn't score for the first three minutes of the half. Um, Indiana would cut the lead down to seven at the end of the third quarter. Jordan did have 10 third-quarter points. Indiana came out hot, went on a 15-2 run at one point. And they cut the lead to 1.8 minutes to go. Uh, and then Jordan would come right out, score seven straight points. Indiana wouldn't make a field goal for six minutes. And the Bulls would win by six after holding a 10-point lead um, for most of the fourth quarter. Jordan had 31 points. Dennis Rodman actually came off the bench in this game. Um, really the big key in the game, if you read contemporary reports, is P- Pippen's defense was very key to disrupting Mark Jackson in the Pacer offense. So, again, the Bulls win game one. Um, game two, Indiana starts off hot again and gets a seven-point lead after one. Uh, the Bulls would take the lead in the second quarter in game two here, but Indiana would come right back on a big-time run and then carry a seven-point lead into the half. The Bulls would kind of slowly cut into the Pacer lead and be up by four after three. And then uh, the Bulls would stretch the lead out to nine. Um, Reggie would hit a three to cut it to three with two minutes to go. But then the Bulls would score six straight points to salt the game away. Uh, Jordan had 41 points in that game. Reggie Miller 19. So pretty similar to game one in that Indiana kind of got out to a lead. Bulls chipped away, took the lead. Indiana kind of had a chance to come back, but then the Bulls put the game away. Uh, defense was really good. And Larry Bird complained after the game that Scottie Pippen should be getting called for more fouls on that defense. And this was the 11th time the Bulls took a 2-0 lead in a best of seven, and they hadn't been pushed past a game six when that had happened. Um, in the first two games, Indiana had 44 turnovers, and the Bulls just 19. So, again, that defense was key for the Bulls. So they go to game three. In Indiana now, Indiana really needs a win. But once again, the Indiana starts out hot. They go up by 11, but then the Bulls cut it just two after one. Uh, Pippen was called for two quick fouls, which was kind of in response to Larry Bird's complaining, so it worked. Miller had nine in the first quarter, Pippen eight. Bulls would end up taking control of the gaming in the second quarter and would lead by four at the half. And then the Bulls would really stretch their lead out in the third quarter a couple times. They were up by seven points with 90 seconds to go in the quarter. But then Indiana would score seven straight points to tie it going into the fourth quarter. Um, 
Uh, with 90 seconds to go, though, the Pacers had an eight-point lead. The Bulls were going a 9-2 run to cut it to one point, but then Indiana would hit their free throws and kind of win the game. So Indiana does win game three. So, again, it's close. Uh, MJ had 30, Pippen 23, um, Reggie had 28. The Pacers bench outscored the Bulls by 15. Reggie did sprain his ankle during this series, and that bothered him the rest of the way. I love MJ's confidence, though. After the loss, he said it's just a bump in the road. And Philly even said they hadn't really played that well, and they still almost won the game. What really helped for the Pacers is that Bird really started to play his bench more, which was younger, like Jalen Rose, Travis Best, and McKee. And this became the key for the rest of the series because um, their younger and deeper bench, they'd hoped to focus on tiring out Jordan by throwing different players at him. And that ended up being key for the Pacers. Um, now, if you if you watch the documentary, they show this lady um, in Game Three at Indiana, just an Indiana fan, just screaming at the players and vulgarities and everything. <laughs> but anyway, so she um, they actually interviewed her. They tracked her down, and interviewed her after the documentary. Um, and her father had been a season ticket holder since 1976, and she said she felt like it was the fans' missions to get in the player's head by screaming at him. And she actually would be recognized by in the airports by opposing players. And while she still goes to the game, she says you can't actually do that anymore. You can't scream like that. So, yeah, that was that screaming lady. Um, she's crazy. Anyways, uh, game four was a crazy game. Um, Chicago was up by three after one. Uh, Indiana ended up by six at the half. And then, despite stretching it out to 10 points, they were uh, up by eight after three. And the Bulls had an eight-point advantage with seven minutes to go. So you'd think that the Bulls had this game. Pacers ended up going on an 11-2 run and take a one-point lead. Bulls responded to take a three-point lead at 52 seconds left. Okay, so again, the Bulls have a chance to go up three to one, kind of ice this series away. And Indiana has a great comeback here. Um, Indiana cuts the lead to one with 30 seconds left. Bulls foul um, with 20 seconds left. And um, that gives the Pacers a shot. But they miss a shot with seven seconds left. Um, and then Harper would steal a pass and give it to Pippen, who is fouled. And with four seconds left, as pointed out in the documentary, Pippen misses both free throws. That would have given a chance for the Bulls to make it a three-point lead. Reggie comes back, hits a three-pointer to um, put the Pacers up by two, and then Jordan misses a buzzer beater, which he almost makes with like under a second left. And so Pacers really steal that game. Very similar to game one of the 97 finals we already talked about where Malone misses two free throws. Pippen misses two free throws here that allows the Pacers to win the game. What I love about that is that Larry Bird, the look on his face after Reggie Miller hits a shot to essentially tie the series is he shows zero emotion because there's still like six-tenths of a second left on the clock, and he knew that Jordan could still potentially beat them. So I love that look. Again, after the game, they talked to Jordan again where he said, or he said last time was a bump in a row. What about this loss? And Jordan says, they still got to come to Chicago. So the guys love the confidence. Jordan never let a loss get to him. He always felt like he was going to win a game. So 
Jordan had 28. Rick Smits had 26. Reggie had 15. So the series is now tied 2-2. Two two. Uh, and in Game 5, the Bulls just blow out the Pacers. Jalen Rose is actually suspended from coming off the bench in Game 4 in a scuffle. There's really not much to talk about other than the fact that the Bulls absolutely blow out the Pacers and win by 19. They're up by 31 at one point in the third quarter. And it was just a beatdown. Larry Bird was just couldn't was in shock at how poorly his team played. And uh, just just couldn't believe they played that bad. So let me go to game six with the Pacers have to win. Uh, it's tied after one. And then the Pacers stretch out to a 10-point lead. The Bulls end up scoring their last seven points to cut it to a three-point lead at half. Bulls are up by five in the middle of the third, but the Pacers take a one-point lead at, at the end of the third. And really, the, the fourth quarter is back and forth. It's tied with a minute to go. Um, and then the Pacers and Bulls trade baskets. It's tied with 19 seconds to go. Um, Jordan fouls Travis Best, who makes two free throws to put the Pacers up by two. Then Jordan turns the ball over with two seconds left. Indiana wins 92-89. And so, again, just another close game. You take out game five, you can make the argument that any team could have won games one, two, three, four, and six. Um, just a close, close series. Bulls had a chance to put this game away, put the series away, but they didn't. And reports said that Jordan looked really tired, even though he scored 35 points. Jordan did come out and say that they were going to win game seven. And so that brings us to game seven. And I, and I just remember there's a lot of talk the Bulls could lose or were going to lose. Again, you got to think about that. It looked like after game five, the Bulls were going to win because they just blown out the Pacers. And they had a chance to win in game six, and then they blew it. Um, and this is only their second game seven. As I mentioned, that 92 Knicks team put them in game seven. That was a blowout. Pacers were confident. Uh, the Pacers dressed in their hotel, and they showed up in their uniforms, which most teams did not do. Phil had told the Bulls not to fear losing and to embrace the idea that you could lose in order to face your fears. <laughs> Jordan disagreed and said, F that, Phil, we're not losing. <laughs> it's crazy. I do remember being ner nervous, thinking the Bulls might actually lose. Um, as this game goes, Jordan what became the all-time leading postseason scorer. Indiana did go up early by 13 and were up by 8 after 1. Um, the Bulls start the second quarter on a 9-1 run. That tied the game. Uh, then the Bulls would end up getting a 7-point lead and would end up ahead by 3 at the half. And Jordan actually ripped his team at halftime. Bulls would take a 4-point lead into the quarter, uh, into the fourth quarter. But Indiana, as part of an 11-0 run would end up taking a three-point lead. And with seven minutes to go, the Pacers are up by three, and there's a jump ball. And Reggie said this was the key moment in this series. Um, the Bulls get the jump ball. Jordan misses a shot. Pippen rebounds it, gives it to Kerr, hits a three to tie it. And Reggie said that was the key to the game, and everything went downhill after that. Although I will say that the Pacers came right down and hit a two to take a two-point lead. But the Bulls ended up scoring six straight to go up by four, and they would really control the rest of the game. And they would win uh, Jordan 28 points, Kukoc 21, Pippen 17. Uh, 
Reggie, 22. Uh, really great series. Six of the seven games were close. Again, Reggie really felt like they were the better team, but the Bulls' experience won it, and that home court was huge. Uh, Jordan had 31 points, six rebounds, four assists, two steals. Pippen, 17 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two steals, and a block. Kukoc had a great series. He was considered the key to the series. 15 points, four rebounds, three assists, and a steal. Reggie averaged 17 points, Smith 16 and 5, and Davis 10 points and 7. Um, Jordan was obviously really excited. He said afterwards that that was the hardest that they'd worked in 13 years. And he actually thought playing against the Jazz guards and Hornacek and Stockton would be easier as they were older and not as physical as the Pacers guards. So they ended up going to play the Jazz. Um, I think they had to play in two days. And, and if I remember right, and I'll double check. My math here, not my math, I'll double check my thoughts here. Yeah, the Jazz had actually won, uh, they had actually swept the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And so the Jazz had like a week or something like that to prepare for the Bulls. Um, or the Bulls had to go in and then two days play the game. So Bulls face their toughest test um, and they go on to play the Jazz looking for their sixth title in eight years. Looking at the Pacers, uh, Larry Bird would coach two more years with the Pacers. He would lose in the Eastern Conference Finals to the Knicks in 99 and the NBA Finals in 2000 to the Lakers as they started their dynasty. He actually ended up resigning after those three years. He said he was only going to coach three years when he signed up for it, and he stuck to his word. He did have some health problems with his back and his heart, but a lot of people felt like he, that Bird had to resign after three because he had said that. Um, but a lot of Pacers said that they were stunned. They felt like he was just getting his coaching voice and that they were only going to get better. The Pacers would make the playoffs every year through 2006 and lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, yeah, the Bulls win. Pacers ended up becoming a really good team, but they ended up can't get over the hump and, and, and win a title. Um, but a really good challenge for Jordan and... I don't know. I, I just think you. A lot of superlatives you can say for the Bulls and, and Jordan, but they just responded to the challenge every time. They could have very easily lost to the Pacers this series. They could have easily lost to the Utah Jazz, but that team just responded to every challenge. And um, it's just kind of you kind of almost feel bad for some of these teams like the Jazz and Pacers who have never won an NBA title, but had teams that could have done that. But ran into a buzzsaw. So, anyways, I'll probably leave it there. Yeah, this episode's a little bit shorter than my other ones. I kind of thought that, but I just didn't really want to drag it out for another hour or so. This was there wasn't that much information to talk about in this episode. So, we'll move on and uh, we'll go to the last dance. Episode ten is our next episode that we will do, and um, I look forward to looking through that and. Unfortunately, reliving the end of the Chicago Bulls dynasty, but not before we, re- we relive their sixth title in eight years. So once again, thanks for listening. Again, appreciate it. Um, if you follow me on Twitter at, um, at DocTellMeMore, I did pick up one follower this week, so thank you so much for that one follower out there. Uh, but thank you so much for your support, and have a great day.